0: Hey there. We have something different kind of this week because we get to talk about Dragon Eggs and LARPing and Taylor Swift, and I am living for it. Absolutely living. So if you are here on the audio version, you will not get to see the documents, but if you want to see the documents involved in the lawsuit from Evermore Park versus Taylor Swift, those are up in the corresponding YouTube Video. There is a lot to dive into in this trademark suit, and we get to talk about dragons and shit. So I am very excited. (laughs) When I say I'm excited, I'm like actually really excited to get to talk about trademarks, but also LARPing and fantasy and music and Taylor Swift. I love everything about this case right now. I'm sure the parties involved don't, but I'm living for it. There's sass. We're ready to go. So you know what we're going to do. We're just going to get into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the Cursey words. So let's break it down. Okay. But before we get all the way into it, y'all have left some really kind reviews on the podcast over on iTunes, which does help it get discovered. And they have been coming in from all over. We have new reviews from Sweden. So Kessi K-E-Y-S-I, leaving your review from Sweden. Um, Thank you so much. You said that the podcast was as entertaining, as informative. Love the energy. You are welcome. Thank you to our Swedish audience. I have seen this podcast grow so much uh, internationally, and it's been incredible and humbling, and I'm just floored. There were a few others I wanted to share because it's just so kind, and I wanted you to know how much I appreciate your reviews on the podcast. And then next week, we're going to pull some comments from the YouTube channel. We're just going to switch off (laughs) from no one four, six, eight over on Apple podcasts. Emily, your content is brilliant. Why? Thank you. You bring logic and balance to the topics you cover. It is deeply appreciated by me from the heavy stuff to the lighter topics. Keep up the great work and don't ever change. Thank you. (laughs) I think at 42, it's a little late for me to change. I I've kind of, this is, this is who we are. (laughs) So thank you very much for that. And then from Redone336 on Apple Podcasts, I found Emily on YouTube, but she has quickly joined my favorite podcast list. Thank you so much. Her voice is so nice to listen to, and she explains everything in such clear language. I will be sharing some of these episodes in my high school English and rhetoric class for sure. I so very much appreciate that. I love that people still take rhetoric. Rhetoric is so important, and I appreciate it. But after we've gotten to those very kind reviews, It is time to just jump in. So, our quote for today I have a feeling so peculiar that this pain would be forevermore. Taylor Swift, evermore. You knew that was coming. You knew I couldn't pass up an opportunity to get to use a quote from the thing that is involved in the lawsuit. And it was either quote the artist or quote the lawyers. And we're going to hear so much about the lawyers. I figured it was fair to also quote. Tay Tay, Taylor Swift. Look, we've talked about Taylor on this show before the Emily show in episode 19 and episode six. She's also come up in other episodes when we've talked about things like uh, Kanye West versus the music industry. Taylor Swift is kind of ingrained in some of these artist battles and not in a bad way. I also have an episode talking about the Miss Americana Movie documentary, doc, how what are we calling it? Is it a documentary? I think it's a documentary. I don't know things always, <laughs> but I think it's a documentary. That's episode 19, where I, and I talk about why that documentary is so important. I talk about, and you you're welcome to go listen. <laughs> I'll link it in the show notes and in the description. But it talks so much about what she went through as a female in the industry and a lot of what she says in Miss Americana is very much echoed in the latest Britney Spears I don't want to call it a documentary because it's not it's more of a investigative report that the New York Times just recently did and I will be talking about that in other content but it echoes what taylor swift encountered versus what britney spears encountered of course taylor didn't end up in a conservatorship like britney but it goes into a lot of what women face and not just in the music industry but in professional industries across the board in the united states and then she talks very very openly about her sexual assault lawsuit which is tremendously important to to go through and to remember that there Are a lot of times in her career where she has put her foot down. So, while we talk about this case in a lighter tone, because it is kind of a funny trademark case, at the end of the day, it will resolve. It doesn't carry the weight of some of the other things Taylor's been involved in and some of the other topics I cover. So, yes, whenever we get to talk about dragon eggs, I'm going to make light. It's time to make a little bit of light and have a little bit of a giggle and talk about trademarks at the same time. So, That is where the levity is coming in. There have been other episodes, heavier episodes, talking about Taylor Swift and where I think she really stands up for artists in general, but also for herself. And that Miss Americana episode really dives into how she stood up for herself as a professional woman, which is not something that is easy to do. Setting boundaries, especially when it ends up with you being in court, having to explain why somebody grabbing your ass is not okay with you. It's it's an important thing to remember, and particularly on the wave of talking about that Britney Spears piece, <laughs> is it a piece, investigative report by the New York Times. I think the two pieces illustrate a lot of the same problems and do it in a really clear way. And it's interesting whenever you see two people who don't seem to have any interaction that are in the same industry echoing the same themes year after year after year. So before we dive in, I felt like I needed to talk about that. There's one other thing we have to talk to before we get all the way into Evermore, before we jump Evermore, Nevermore, into Evermore, is that Taylor Swift's last album, Folklore, which is apparently a sister album to this album, had some issues with regard to its logoing. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up. Others have pointed it out to me that this happened in the previous launch of the folklore album and I'm just going to dive into what happened this summer with regard to folklore and how it was responded to because I don't I don't know if this sits to me as a pattern or if this is a very strict interpretation from Taylor's team of well it's not strictly infringement so we're cool with it um we think it's fine because it definitely backfired on them with regard to folklore. And we will see how this washes. This is definitely different. And I think a lot of people feel more empathetic towards Taylor in this lawsuit with Evermore than they did with regard to the folklore incident. But with regard to folklore, the last album that came out over the summer, there were photos that were released with regard to The merchandising of it, and it had the letter or it had the word the kind of on its side going vertical up against the F of the word folklore. But there is a woman named Amira Razul, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing Rasul correctly, who owns a showroom called The Folklore. That's the name of her showroom. The folklore specializes in fashion from Africa and the African despora. She accused Swift of stealing her design on social media and NBC covered it. The article is linked below and it has links to the tweets. They are still up. She said on Twitter and on Instagram, she being Amira said, wait, hold up. Taylor Swift. It's one thing to use the name folklore, but we're out here stealing black women's logos too. Taylor Swift did not release that merch. She said, I'm happy. She Swift said on social media, I'm happy to make a contribution to your company and to support the Black and Fashion Council launching on 83 with a donation. So it seems that Swift said, Oh, yeah, we're not, we're, what we're not going to do is that. But it seems that Swift's team didn't consider it to be a theft of logo because the fonting was done differently. Some people on social media said the same thing. The fonts are different and it's different, but it is the same feel of the logo. So I can also understand why this proprietor of the folklore showroom was frustrated seeing a artist like Swift using the same concept even though the font was different to promote her album. And now the name of a shop and the name of an album are two different things, but I can understand the frustration in the logo. And it seems it was well taken by Swift's team because they changed it. So that is a backdrop with the last album of something that happened. And then we get into this album with lots of kerfuffling over trademarks. What's a trademark? Just basically, basic most basic. Trademarks are meant to protect consumers. The goal of a trademark is that a consumer knows where the goods are coming from, knows the source of the goods. You know if you pick something up that has a can that has red and then big, bold, swoopy white font and says Coca-Cola, that it's from the Coca-Cola company, that it tastes like Coca-Cola, that you're not getting a Pepsi or a Mountain Dew, that you know what's coming in that can Even if it's written in different languages, you know what you're getting, right? So the goal is to trademark a word, phrase, symbol, design, or combination that identifies and distinguishes the source of the goods from one party and not others. So the source thing, you know that what you're getting in that can is a Coke from Coca-Cola. You know that what you're getting at the Golden Arches (laughs) It's McDonald's. I don't know why it's all food analogies. It's all food analogies. You know if you buy technology and it has an apple with a bite out of it that what you're getting is actually from apple. So you know the source of the goods. And that is where we find the Evermore, Evermore issue. Taylor Swift released the album Evermore on her birthday and the Evermore theme park took issue. This case was filed on February 2nd in the federal court in Utah from Evermore Park LLC versus Taylor Swift, TAS Rights Management LLC, and Taylor Nation LLC. Taylor being the individual artist, the two companies being Tennessee Limited Liability Companies. It is a complaint with all of the information. They included all of the information. When combined, their filings are over 130 pages of stuff, and that includes their cease and desist letter and, helpfully, Taylor Swift's attorney's response to the cease and desist, because the cease and desist letter reads exactly like this complaint. Like The cease and desist was prepared in anticipation of litigation, my perspective, and laid out everything that just ended up being reformatted into this complaint. The Response to the cease and desist also reads very much like it's prepared for litigation and that it is going to eventually be the response to this if Taylor Swift's team doesn't make a motion to dismiss or make a motion for jurisdiction or something like that. Since my content has talked so much about jurisdiction lately, we will touch on it briefly as it, you know, alludes to this case. But They briefly go through jurisdiction and venue being appropriate in Utah, though I'm wondering why they didn't just file this in the USPTO and defend the trademark there and instead filed it in the federal court. But I think it's perhaps, perhaps, because this is more monitored and was going to get more traction, it's definitely gotten attention in the news cycle for sure. So Evermore alleges that they own the trademarks, various trademarks to Evermore, that there is infringement of their trademark rights and their common law trademark rights, that their principal place of business is in Utah, and that Taylor Swift has done substantial business in Utah, that her 1989 world tour sold for like $326 a ticket, that she has... Aired Miss Americana at the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah, that she's visited Utah. And then they cite a whole bunch of news articles, which, you know, they're like, look, it says right here on BuzzFeed. (laughs) Look, it says right here on StubHub. Look, it says right here on this article on SeatGeek. So they're relying on a lot of information that the court can't take for the truth of the matter asserted because it's, you know, news articles. But I'm sure Taylor Swift's not going to argue that she didn't premiere or have Miss Americana at Sundance. It's just always funny to me to see stuff that's like that's not evidence, but okay, like you do you. Go ahead. Put it in there. So they're going to argue that there are extensive commercial activities in the state of Utah and that's why Taylor Swift has to defend this in Utah and not in another place though. Again, the US Trademark Office, the Patent and Trademark Office does do these types of things, but Sure. Evermore Park describes itself in this lawsuit as a immersive experience theme park where performers portray fantasy characters and that is the main attraction. This is a larping park. I've watched videos about it. I did I did research. I was curious and it's not a theme park with like rides per se. It's a theme park with quests. It feels like oh my brain What was it where you would go to get dinner and then people would joust and then you were kind of part of the show, but not really part of the show? Oh, I'm going to have to Google. Why am I forgetting? This is basic. It was in Buena Park. I should know this. You're all yelling medieval times at me. Medieval times. It's like medieval times, but everything is part of the show and the characters are part of the show and you can talk to the characters and go on quests and become members of a guild. It feels like live action role play which is what larping stands for if you don't watch you know all of the the nerdy ass shit that i enjoy that involves larping but larping is live action role play things like the renaissance fair is larping it is people role playing a character and then when you get into this world at this park you're part of it and you're part of the show for the day you're part of the story and you just immerse yourself in it and you can go become you know a part of this guild or part of that guild or a hunter or whatever so it seems that the park is very full of actors who are part of this story that plays out at the park every single day and interacts with the customers evermore has invested approximately 37 million dollars into the creation and promotion of the park and then it talks about the CEO Ken Brett Schneider and tells a little bit of his story. He said in an interview, quote, as a child, I felt escapism was a really important thing. I grew up in a rough situation with a very abusive father, but I had the wonderful opportunity of being around other people who were mostly artists. They helped me escape out of my negative world and embrace a positive one. That really meant a lot to me and set an important tone through my entire life. If you're wondering what the fuck this has to do with a lawsuit, fair point. This has to do with telling the story again of the litigation. And you see this in complaint after complaint. It is telling their side of the story, their perspective of why this all matters, and the word escapism comes up multiple times because they are arguing Evermore Park that Taylor Swift's album Evermore also has themes of fantasy and escapism, and that that fact—I just said that seven hundred times—you get what I mean. That this fact of escapism and fantasy goes to show or lends to show that her album is infringing on the Evermore trademarks. But we'll get there. And because the plaintiffs in this case, Evermore Park suing Taylor Swift, who's the defendant, brought in the letter, we get Taylor Swift's side in this. We get her team's response. And her team's response is, uh, yeah, bro, no. What, what, what we're not doing is uh, is this. We'll just defend it. Thanks. So they talk about how Mr. Brett Schneider hosted these fabulous Halloween parties in Utah that grew each year until in 2013, they had 11,000 people in his home. That seems like a lot. It sounds like he was operating his home as a bit of a theme park or a walkthrough. And that was the beginning of Evermore, which started as hosting Halloween events and then began constructing the park in 2017. They included quite a lot of news articles about how everyone said that Evermore was just the coolest place ever. Great. I watched one of the videos that they brought up in this, and it actually gave me a pretty good idea. And I'll link that in the descriptions and show notes. It's a BuzzFeed's Bring Me video that talks about how the park works and how it operates and gave me a better understanding of what this park is. It doesn't necessarily make me think that there's going to be confusion between this LARPing theme park and Taylor Swift's album, but it gave me a better idea of what this park was and why there might be a very strong group of people who enjoy this park because it is that kind of full immersive Ren esque fantasy escapism LARPing vibe. You just get to go and do something else, be someone else for a day. They had archery. Very exciting. Then they talk about their trademark rights. Evermore is trademarked in a few different categories. With trademarks, you have to trademark it per class of goods. So if you want it for a beer mug, that's different than if you want it for a book. That's different than if you want it for a fabric versus if you want it for a shirt. So there are different classes of goods, quite a lot of them. And Evermore is trademarked as a word mark, just like just the word Evermore in three categories or multiple categories. And I'll describe those in a moment. And then it is trademarked as a stylized mark, which means it has a particular font look and feel different from what Taylor Swift uses, but it has a particular stylized mark. So for the word marks, it is trademarked in um, class 25 coats, dresses, hats, jackets, pants, shirts, shoes, socks, shorts. Sweaters. Class 41 providing Halloween themed park services. Uh, Class 41 filed a year later live visual and audio performances by an actor, entertainment services in the nature of augmented reality attractions, providing theme park services. And then the stylized mark with the very particularized font for amusement parks, coats, dresses, hats, jackets, pants, shorts, socks, sweaters. So clothing, Halloween-themed park services, theme park services, and the like. They go in about how much they've spent protecting their mark or building up their mark, how they've valued their mark, and that they have spent over $406,000 in advertising and promoting evermore they say the Evermore trademark. In reality, that's the Evermore Park, but still, fair, fair. But $400,000. Later, when they talk about the amount of guests that have been through the park, I have questions about the return on investment for the advertising dollars. I just quest, I have questions. They purchased the domain name evermore.com for $300,000. I want to know who had it before. I don't have that answer for you, but I'm fascinated. And then over $220,000 in direct labor costs for advertising and promoting the trademark. Okay, well, who are we spending $220,000? They've spent $228,000 in labor for advertising, but also $406,000 in advertising costs. Okay, so so over well over half a million dollars in advertising. And then go on to follow it up with, since the doors opened in 2018, Evermore Park has provided entertainment services to 142,000 people. Okay, so over $600,000 in advertising to bring through the door 142,000 people. I have questions. I have questions about that return on investment. But okay. The lawsuit goes on to point out that there are clothing items that bear the Evermore mark. One is a plain sweatshirt with the stylized Evermore mark. On a black hoodie, one is a t-shirt that has a clock tower that seems to be part of the park with like creepy tree branches, like Halloween tree branches going to grab it with that stylized Evermore in their particular font and then a hat with the same thing, black hat with their Evermore logo in their particularized font or their stylized logo. They go on to talk about the fact that Evermore has commissioned two original music scores that they sell under the name Evermore Park, original score, Volume 1 and Volume 2. This comes up later because the album has a large tree on it, almost looks like a Celtic tree to me, a large tree on it with roots that are interwoven um, in almost like a Celtic knot type of way. Very, like, Keebler-Elf-ish. But in a... it, it is what it is and then it has um the evermore stylized e carved into the tree so it looks like a very kind of fantasy type tree that is on the cover of these two albums volume 1 and volume 2 this is music from the park i'm i have not listened to these i imagine they are songs that harken back to ye fair time at ye evermore park but they sell those on Apple Music and are now competing with apparently Taylor Swift's Evermore album. You let me know what you think. If you're looking for Taylor Swift Evermore and Evermore Park popped up, would you be confused? They are, they're, the albums are the soundtrack of magical lore and the soundtrack of cursed lore. Would you be confused? I want to know your thoughts. Evermore also used the trademark Evermore in connection with keychains, commemorative coins, postcards, and pins shown below. And there's a picture of exactly that. Keychain, (laughs) keychains and pins and and postcards, all very kind of magical, mystical, Renfair looking to me. They talk about the defendant's adoption of the Evermore trademark, and allege that starting in December 11th, 2020, Taylor Swift released the album titled Evermore. Taylor Swift's description of the Evermore album echoes the descriptions of Evermore the park, including mirroring the unique term escapism. Now, again, lawsuits are written in the most beneficial light to the person writing them. However, what they say is the unique term escapism. According to Merriam-Webster, escapism means habitual Diversion of the mind to purely imaginative activity or entertainment as an escape from reality or routine, and that the first known use of the word in this context was in 1933. I just feel like that shit's not that new or that unique. But again, let me know your thoughts. Lawsuits are written in the light most favorable to the person writing them. I don't think it's that unique. I think it's a fairly common thing. I feel like during COVID, all of us find our own little escapism. It's like, please, Lord, I just want to play Animal Crossing and not think about being locked down in my house. But they point out in this lawsuit that Taylor Swift's booklet that accompanies the album says, quote, I loved the escapism I found in these imaginary and not imaginary tales, I love the ways you welcomed the dreamscapes and tragedies of epic tales of love lost and found. This is going off of her folklore album. This is her, she's having a moment in this like fairy tale fantasy space. Does that mean she's a full ass theme park? You let me know. You let me know. Cause uh, I'm going with probably not. Then, then. They talk about the fact that epic tales were used to describe Evermore Park in a number of news articles, including the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in 2018, including Utah Business Magazine in 2019, including Amusement Park News in 2019. They talk about the fact that there are explicit lyrics on Taylor Swift's album. I think they are including that as a way to argue, see, this might damage our brand. There are no explicit lyrics in our brand. There are explicit lyrics in her brand. And maybe that that is somehow associating explicit lyrics with their theme park in Utah. I I think that's where they're going with that, but we'll see. They then continue on to talk about the fact that the Evermore merch collection on taylorswift.com is counterfeit and includes an Ever and Evermore hoodie, a bandit like me hoodie, cowboy like me hoodie, bluest skies, darkest gray pullover, cardigans, life was a willow long sleeve, forever is the sweetest con long sleeve, above the trees and roots in my dreamland. There is one in there that says Ever and Evermore, and that is just the one hoodie. The rest of them talk about other stuff. They say that the clothing items sold are counterfeit goods because they use a spurious mark that is identical with plaintiff's trademark. Again, their trademark being Evermore, her having one sweatshirt that says ever and Evermore. They then go on to the fact that there are lithographs and cell phone accessories and a fancy shit mug. They're very fluffed about the fancy shit mug. I have not seen the fancy shit mug. I want a fancy shit mug. It sounds fancy and shit, but they then point out that on December 10th, 2020, the day before the album was released, that intent to use trademarks were filed with the USPTO. And those are trademarks all saying Taylor Swift evermore album. And four of those were filed. No, four, five, six, seven, eight of them were filed. They then allege that because these trademarks were filed that then before the album was released, Taylor's team or Taylor's companies and Taylor herself were on notice of the other trademarks because they would have done a trademark search. They would have done other things. And then they allege that defendants or their agents visited evermore.com prior to December 10th. I'm wondering how they know. I think that's just their assumption, but they don't really dive into it more. They also say that the trademark filed by TAS Rights Management LLC covers each category of item currently being advertised on Evermore Park's website, namely ornamental cloth patches, three-dimensional plastic ornaments, purses, all-purpose carrying bags, key wallets, and key pouches. So the park is arguing that Taylor Swift's company is applying for a trademark that covers ornamental cloth pouches, three-dimensional plastic ornaments, purses, all carry or all purpose carry bags, key wallets and key pouches under Taylor Swift Evermore album. But those are categories that Evermore Park does not have at this point. They're just saying we have goods on our site that are those things, or we have goods at our park that are those things. And here they are trying to get a trademark to compete with us is essentially what they're saying. They then include a screen capture from the park's website that shows that Evermore offers ornamental cloth patches, three-dimensional plastic ornaments, purses, all-purpose carry bags, wallets. And those things are all in-park exclusive items that include dragon eggs, dragon eggs, dragon eggs, stands to hold the dragon eggs, things that look like guild patches, like if you become part of a particular clan, some kind of pin that has a dragon head sticking out of it, a very... Fantasy-esque backpack, uh ye old crossbody, a keychain, and a shirt, all very fantasy stylized for the park. It is discussed later that those are in-park exclusives and not available to purchase on the website. So they are really just purchased at the park. So we'll see. And then they go into the fact that. They believe it's an actual use of the Evermore mark that Taylor Swift is an actor. She has acted in numerous films and television series and videos. She has 64 film credits, that there are 64 videos in which she appeared as quote actress, you know, and not as singer, that her works include the music video Willow, which they take issue with because they say that the imagery in Willow that has a giant willow tree with like magic coming out of it, is very much like their albums that have this fantasy-like tree with a door on it that says Evermore as if you might pass through the tree. So they're saying that those things are too close to be coincidental. They also say on Information and Belief that they believe Taylor Swift will offer entertainment services in the nature of live visual and audio performances using the Evermore trademark, such as concert performances and television performances, et cetera. The complaint then alleges a lot about website traffic and how they believe website traffic has been confused and then has been harmed by the fact that Taylor Swift's album now comes up higher in Google search. They include a number of screenshots and then more screenshots in the letter that they sent to Taylor's attorneys. They talk about the fact that there's a spike in bounce rate, bounce rate being how quickly somebody realizes that they don't want to be on your site or leaves your site after just visiting one page. They talk about the fact that their bounce rate changed after this. It doesn't show a significant, to me, you can decide. From December 2nd, they show that they had 1,400 users in a day. December 11th, they had 5,000 users that day. So a significant change for them that their direct traffic went up to 73%. So people going to evermore.com, likely assuming it was Taylor Swift's website and then going, oh, this isn't it. We need to go get the album elsewhere. It's not here at evermore.com. Does that hurt their mark? I think, I look, I view this as, oh, people realize they weren't at the right spot. So there's not confusion there they are realizing when they go to evermore.com that this is not taylor swift's album so they left the website they say that the bounce rate went up to 76.28 percent on december 11th and that indicates to me that people realize they weren't in the right spot that does not indicate to me that there was confusion of the thing it it indicates the opposite And then their average session duration went down from 134 seconds of people probably looking to see if the park was open due to COVID to 60 seconds of people going, oh, this isn't the new Taylor Swift album. Okay. But that is only a snippet from the day the album was released. I'm very curious as to what those analytics look like now. They say that social media made direct associations between Taylor Swift and Evermore Park. Taylor's attorneys address this too. They highlight one tweet that says, I would like to take this beautiful hashtag Taylor Swift moment to point out the superb RPG role playing game theme park, hashtag Evermore at Evermore Park. Evermore Park retweeted it and said, Why, thank you for the spotlight. They didn't say, Oh, oh, you've confused us. No, no. What somebody did was say, Oh, let's take the moment. Let's take the moment to say there's this other Evermore too. That indicates to me people aren't making a confused association that someone was taking a moment to say, oh, hashtag Taylor Swift is trending. So let's also shout out the Evermore Park because I clearly know that they're different and not associated. That's just my reading of the thing. They talk about a deluge of online information about Defendant and the Evermore album. I bet that's changed since the uh, lawsuit. I bet now all of the information's about this and not about the Evermore album. But your ranking on Google is not a factor directly as to whether or not your trademark is being hurt. The biggest basis of all of this is, is there actual confusion? And it seems so far, I don't know. How are you feeling? Are you feeling confused that this theme park might be associated with Taylor Swift? I would like to know. I feel like it's all been cleared up now. So they talk about the fact that they've gone down in Google ranking that the defendants refused to cease and desist from their use of the Evermore trademark. Within days of the release of the Evermore album, Evermore sent a cease and desist letter to defendants attached as Exhibit D. Counsel for defendants responded to the cease and desist on December 29th, stating defendants' refusal to discontinue the use of the Evermore trademark and claiming, quote, if anything, your client's website traffic has actually increased as a result of the release of Swips." Recent album, which in turn could only serve to enhance your client's mark. Defendants claim that their use of Evermore's trademark enhances Evermore's mark, reflects a fundamental misunderstanding of trademark law. The shade and similar arguments have been considered and flatly rejected. They then go on to cite an a couple different cases: Liquid Glass Court and Audi versus D Amato for the proposition that. Boosting the mark is not the thing. The court said in that case, in the context of trademark litigation, grounds for irreparable harm include loss of control of reputation, loss of trade, loss of goodwill, regardless of whether the infringer is putting the mark to a good or favorable use. Quote, While imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, it is equally true, especially in the context of trademark litigation, that flattery will often get you nowhere. So not only do we have lawyer sass, but then we have like case law cited that then cites other case law that is then sassy. So this is Audi versus Diamato citing liquid glass for the proposition that, quote, while imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, it is equally true, especially in the context of trademark litigation, that flattery will get you nowhere. This, this little interlude here made me happy. I was like, oh, we have a little bit of sass, a little bit of shade, and then we've got like three levels of courts citing each other for absolute sass. Touche. I, I dig it. <laughs> I dig it. And I get it. But, but, is the source confused? Here, just asking the relevant question. They then go on to say that defense counsel claimed falsely, quote, contrary to the assertion in your letter, the merch on Miss Swift's website only contains pictures of Miss Swift or album lyrics and is not identified as an quote evermore collection, end quote. This goes on with some confusion because it looks like there had been a period of time where the Evermore merch was identified as such, and then that was fixed on the back end. That's directly addressed in the letter responding to the cease and desist, and I will address it when we get to that letter. Then there's a Teen Vogue article where Teen Vogue says Taylor Swift releases Evermore merch, Willow Remix. Yay! But they're saying that that release of quote, Evermore merch, is again showing that people are associating the trademark to Taylor Swift. They then have more feelings about the defendant's response. And then talk about the phone conversations. In telephone conversations, counsel for defendants strongly insinuated that defendant's refusal to address Evermore's claims is at least partially based on the belief that Evermore lacks the financial resources to pursue its claims due to the coronavirus pandemic. counsel for Defendants have made multiple references in written communications to Evermore's, quote, financial difficulties due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, not just that either. A representative for Taylor Swift told Rolling Stone, quote, the fact is this frivolous claim is coming from Ken Brettschneider, you know, founder and CEO of An Experience Park. And according to Utah Business, quote, as of June 2020, at least five lawsuits have been filed against Brett Schneider and the Evermore Group by major construction companies like Sunrock, AGC Drywall and Construction, Geneva Rock, Mountain Point Landscaping, EME, Mechanical, Creative, Woodworks, and NFH Distributing and then went on to say that the companies claim they are owed between $28,000 and $400,000, according to Utah Business. It also says that he owes millions of dollars in construction, mechanic, and landscaping fees to workers across the valley who have yet to be paid with, quote a collection of more than 20 construction liens on the Evermore property. The true intent of this lawsuit should be obvious. That coming from a Swift spokesperson to Rolling Stone. So then confirming again that their belief is that this is a frivolous lawsuit seeking financial gain not a true you know defense of their trademark rights. Back back to the lawsuit at hand. Back to the complaint. The plaintiffs go on to state in addition Taylor Swift has repeatedly sought to portray herself in the public as a defender of artists and in particular struggling artists. For example, Ms. Swift criticized Apple's decision to offer a three-month free trial of Apple Music, stating, quote, we don't ask you for free iPhones. Please don't ask us to provide you with our music for no compensation. And that is coming from a Forbes.com article. So they are trying to use Tay-Tay's reputation against her by saying, look, you're not standing up for the artist by doing this to our part which is very interesting to me. They go on to say, despite her publicly stated concerns for small and struggling artists facing larger and better funded opponents, such as Apple and the record labels, Ms. Swift now seeks to bury the previously released Evermore albums created by Evermore and misappropriate the Evermore trademark with no compensation to Evermore because the company is facing, quote, financial difficulties due to the COVID-19 pandemic and cannot afford to engage in protracted litigation." Defendants attempts to exploit Evermore's weakened position due to the coronavirus pandemic is one fact among many that renders this case exceptional. Defendants are realizing tremendous profits from the Evermore album, which debuted at number one on the Billboard chart and having sold 720,000 equivalent album units through January 21st, 2021. Defendants revenue for the sales under the Evermore trademark is likely to reach tens of millions of dollars. They then go into their cause of actions, which are claims of release for trademark infringement claims, and they break down all of the things with regard to trademark infringement, stating their proposition, and this is is the test, that likelihood of confusion being the critical factor is determined by, one, the degree of similarity between the marks. In this case, they're the same word. Two, the intent of the alleged infringer in using the mark. Three, evidence of actual confusion. Four, similarity of products and manner of marketing. Five, the degree of care likely to be exercised by purchasers. And six, the strength or weakness of the mark. This is also evaluated in the response by Taylor Swift. They evaluate it here too. So the degree of similarity between the marks. And remember, Taylor Swift has applied for the Evermore the Taylor Swift Evermore album. They did not apply for a trademark just for the word Evermore. So this complaint evaluates those things saying they are the same mark, that there is high likelihood of confusion, that all of these factors, the six factors, weigh in our favor. And because those six factors weigh in our favor, then the suit should be essentially found for us. We've established enough. And this is also part of getting past a motion to dismiss. The complaint goes on to talk about the case law behind actual confusion and the other factors under all of this one cause of action. Then their second claim is for common law trademark infringement, meaning even not under the you know, federal laws, but under the common laws, we have a right. They're they're competing with our trademark right. And therefore it should be found for us, particularly with regard to ornamental cloth patches, three-dimensional plastic ornaments, purses, all-purpose carry bags, key wallets, and key pouches, probably because those things aren't actually trademarked to plaintiff. And those things are sought under the trademarks filed by Taylor Swift's team with intent to use they then have a third cause of action for unfair competition under the utah code and the prayer for relief asks for barring them them taylor swift at all from using it to be awarded statutory damages meaning the law says you get 2 million dollars per counterfeit mark per type of goods or services sold offered for sale or distributed that they be awarded an equitable remedy of an accounting for the disgorgement of all revenues and profits wrongfully derived by defendants for their infringement of the evermark, Evermore trademark, the Evermark. <laughs> We've confligated the words into one. They're now the Evermark. Welcome, Evermark. But the disgorgement of all revenues. They want all the revenues and profits from the album and that plaintiff be awarded its costs for attorney's fees, etc. cetera. Then they attach a declaration from Mr. Brett Schneider, the owner of Evermore Park going on and confirming that $37 million investment for the creation, the amount they've paid, and putting into their, you know, it's a declaration, the facts that are alluded to and discussed in the complaint regarding the albums, regarding the merchandise, regarding the money spent. They attach the actual trademark certificates that they refer to in the complaint. They attach Taylor Swift's album art. And she talks about the tales that she tells in this, how she um, feels about them, that she loves the songs in this. And she says, quote, I wanted to surprise you with this The week of my 31st birthday. You all have been so caring, supportive, thoughtful on my birthdays. And so this time I wanted to give you something. I also know this holiday season will be a lonely one for most of us. And if there are any of you out there that can turn to music to cope with missing loved ones the way I do, this is for you. I have no idea what will come next. I have no idea about a lot of things these days. So I've clung to the one thing that keeps me connected to you all. That thing always has and always will be music and may it continue evermore. And then she signs it. It's a very lovely album cover. But again, she talks about this being a fantasy album, this having different stories, this having a different feel and being kind of a second album to folklore. Again, I don't find that to be like, oh, she's trying to be a fantasy theme park. I just don't. It includes next, the cease and desist letter sent to. Taylor Swift, and everybody. The letter reads very, very much like the complaint, points out the same thing, argues the same facts as the complaint, and goes into depth a little bit more about Evermore Park, about its popularity, about how it's been pointed out in the media, and essentially how they should be aware of it. Then there is a declaration of a woman named Andrea Meesom, who is the human resources director of the park. And after December 10th, she states in her declaration, guests at Evermore Park asked me whether the Evermore album was a result of a collaboration before Evermore and Taylor Swift or some other type of relationship. What it notably does not say is how many guests, if they were confused, if they were curious, if they were like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Taylor Swift loved this park too? It's very very quiet as to any of that. It literally is guess at the park asked me. Oh, okay, for what it's worth, there's a declaration from the chief technology officer talking about the Google Analytics having a spike the day that the album was released and then on this graph it looks to me like after the spike things went back to generally the normal levels and then attaching a lot of screenshots of the back end of evermore parks web analytics. If you like Google Analytics and are curious, <laughs> you can see all of their analytics. What's unclear to me is what day these analytics were taken, but they're from the period, a lot of them from like December 8th, December 9th, that they go day by day on what their analytics looked like to show that their analytics spiked the day the album came out. Okay. They have the Google search that still shows, by the way, Evermore Park in the top spot and don't have the date on it, but it shows associated search being for the album, for other songs on the album, and showing that now Evermore has been bumped down in Google prestige, if you will. What's interesting to me is that Evermore still does come up that things other than the album come up and that they're searching Evermore the word and not Evermore Park, because when you search Evermore Park, it's different. And if you're looking for, I mean, are they Disney? When you search Disney, but if you're searching like Disneyland, don't you search Disneyland and not just like Disney and expect Disneyland to pop up first. I'm just saying they did not show screenshots of the evermore park search, just evermore the word because that's the word that's their trademark. I get it. But still the trademark goes to selling merch at the, at the, um, shop at the park. Then we get to the response, to Mr. Cherry and Mr. Winchester, the attorneys for Evermore Park. I cannot love the names of the people involved anymore. So, Mr. Cherry, dear Mr. Cherry, <laughs> as you know, we represent Miss Taylor Swift, Tass TAS Rights Management and Taylor Nation, collectively the Swift parties. I'm writing in response to your December 18th letter alleging baseless claims of trademark infringement associated with the release of Miss Swift's most recent album, just out the gate, out the gate. Hey, no. Put simply, the Swift parties have not infringed on your client's trademark, and it is inconceivable that there is any likelihood of confusion between your client's theme park and related products and Miss Swift's music and related products. Inconceivable. I love that inconceivables in this letter so much. And then they restate the six part test for trademark infringement and they talk about actual confusion. The factors, again, being the degree of similarity, the intent of the alleged infringer, the evidence of actual confusion, similarity of products and manner of marketing, degree of care likely to be exercised by purchasers and the strength or weakness of the mark. And then they say an examination of these factors demonstrates the unfounded nature of your claim. And then they go factor by factor with what I essentially feels like a response to what this lawsuit became because the cease and desist letter was basically what ended up in the complaint. And this would basically be a response to the complaint or an argument for summary judgment. They say, first, the obvious dissimilarity of the marks in the appearance, sound, connotation, and commercial impression. They say that your client's trademark Evermore is certainly dissimilar from Taylor Swift Evermore album. It is a well-understood principle that additions or deletions to marks are sufficient to avoid a likelihood of confusion if the marks in their entireties convey significantly different commercial impressions. This is not legal advice, but sometimes adding like the to a mark. Like you can't add the Coca-Cola and go sell it as soda, right? But some things can clarify. And they are saying Taylor Swift Evermore album clarifies enough that it's not competing with just the standard word mark Evermore. Your client is well aware of this principle and has previously argued it to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. In fact, when arguing that Evermore could peacefully coexist with Dr. Evermore, spelled E-V-E-R-M-O-R, the owner of another trademark and operator of a similar park. Who knew? Who knew there was another Evermore Park for identical goods and services? And then they quote the argument of the park's lawyers Back to them saying, Look, but you said previously that you could coexist with this other mark so that you could get your mark. So, no, no, (laughs) don't come saying that you don't agree with this now because you previously argued to the USPTO that you were cool with this and that you understood this principle. I love, by the way, the let me just quote back what you said because what you had said was, quote, the title doctor is applied to a person thus communicating to the public that Dr. Evermore refers to an individual. This fact is confirmed by the name portrait statement included in the cited mark. Specifically, the cited mark indicates that the likeness or portrait in the mark identifies a living individual whose consent is of record. In this particular context, the public would correctly assume that Dr. Evermore is the proprietor of the goods bearing his name. For at least this reason, the applicant respectfully asserts that there is no likelihood of confusion between the cited mark, the Dr. Evermore mark, and the applicant's mark, the Evermore mark. Here, the addition of Taylor Swift and Album clearly distinguishes the Swift Party's products and services from any products or services sold by your client. So they absolutely cited back what they had argued previously and then go on to say your client cannot possibly reconcile a belief of no likelihood of confusion between Evermore and Dr. Evermore used on identical goods and services with the assertion that there is a likelihood of confusion between Evermore and Taylor Swift Evermore album on entirely different goods and services. And I would have to say, in my opinion, the point is well taken because the point's well taken the letter in response to the cease and desist goes on to state, among other things, the Swift parties have consistently stylized references to the new album in a way that is entirely distinct from your client's branding, including through their use of all lowercase lettering and font that has become widely associated with Miss Swift's projects through 2020. And then they talk about the fact that Taylor um, identifies her albums and her merch in eras. And so it's very clear that this is what this is what it is. This all lowercase, more feminine, um, very stylized in particular to her feel and kind of trade dress, if you will, of her album and her merch versus Evermore's large, all uppercase. And generally, lowercase or uppercase is not something distinguishing enough with regard to trademarks. It's not like you can be like, oh, well, theirs is all uppercase. Mine can be all lowercase but it goes to likelihood of confusion in the argument that these are completely different goods. Moreover, the Swift parties consistently use the name Taylor Swift and or images of Taylor Swift in close proximity to any promotion of the album and related merchandise, saying, hey, hey, people are going to know it's from (laughs) Tay-Tay. I didn't intend for that to happen, but then it did, and I just went with it. Yeah. Hey, hey, this is from Tay-Tay. Two- Taylor's team says, you have not identified any actual confusion, likely because there is none. (laughs) That's just as plain as it can be. Yeah, there is none. They say, you make the conclusory statement that Evermore's web traffic and digital marketing have been negatively impacted since your adoption of the Evermore trademark and claim that, quote, during the week of December 6th to 12th, your client's website traffic experienced a dramatic departure from typical levels. As a preliminary matter, a change in website traffic does not equate to trademark confusion. Furthermore, even if it did, any dramatic departure from typical levels that occurred from December 6th to December 9th are in no way attributable to the Swift parties because Ms. Swift's album was not announced until December 10th. Your attempt to fully impute an alleged decline in email traffic to Ms. Swift's new album is similarly misguided given the reality of industry-wide impacts of COVID-19 and that impact on theme parks. They then go into saying, lastly, and most importantly, your client's social media posts belie this claim as they have intentionally traded off and taken advantage of this alleged attention in a transparent attempt to try to create an association between your client and ours. And then they show a number of tweets where Evermore is enjoying the attention and is Is saying thank you and is creating a connection. They reshow that tweet that I talked about earlier that's in the complaint saying, I would like to take this beautiful Taylor Swift moment to point out the superb RPG theme park, Evermore, Evermore Park, where Evermore says why thank you for the spotlight. They then show another tweet that seems to come from Evermore saying, absolutely love that everyone online is talking about us. Hashtag Evermore. Thank you. Oh, wait. It's an album at Taylor Swift 13. Anytime you want to come visit, please let us know. And then they share another tweet saying, hello, and thank you to our new followers. We'll assume that you're here due to the hashtag Evermore hashtag mix up. You don't, if look, if you put the hashtag symbol, you don't then have to say hashtag after it, but cool, cool. Good to have you with us. Just a reminder beings from other worlds are allowed in the town of Evermore, but they must check in with the Pirates Guild first. Thanks. So the argument from Tay Tay's lawyers is you are associating to the album and taking a bump from the traffic with the name. You did not have an issue with it. Then, third, they say the products at issue and marketing methods could not be more dissimilar, Furthermore, weighing against a finding of likelihood of confusion, insomuch as your letter did not provide any concrete evidence of your client's trademark rights. Our analysis will focus first on the USPTO records and then on purported common law rights with respect to the USPTO records. Your clients' registrations currently consist of clothing as well as entertainment in the nature of acting services and amusement park services, because your client has argued to the USPTO that these goods and services would be offered at a park location in Linden, Utah, and nothing in your letter contradicts this, we assume the same is true. The Taylor Swift Party's products and services bearing the Taylor Swift Evermore album mark do not and will not consist of these goods and services offered exclusively at a park, specifically their park. As such, the products at issues and marketing methods for them with respect to the USPTO records are different. So Taylor Swift's lawyer saying, yo, you do all your stuff at a particular location at a theme park. We do all our stuff elsewhere and online. And so there's no confusion because it's not a problem. (laughs) They go on to say, quote, your letter points to in-park exclusive items, including small dragon eggs, guild patches, and a small dragon mount and claim that items available on Miss Swift's website are similar. They are not. <laughs> the in-park exclusive items are not available for purchase online. They are only allegedly available to purchase exclusively in your client's theme park, a distribution channel that could not be more disassociated with my client's mark. The quote, merch available on Miss Swift's website related to her new album, on the other hand, is only available for purchase online on a website that is clearly branded with Miss Swift's name, likeness, and or image. As such, there is simply no overlap in the marketing methods and channels of trade between our clients' respective goods and services, and thus no potential for lost sales or actual confusion between them. Moreover, contrary to the assertion in your letter, the quote merch on Miss Swift's website only contains pictures of Miss Swift or album lyrics and does not identify as an evermore collection. And then in a footnote, it clarifies that there was a period of time where evermore was available. It showed it as evermore merch, but that was meant to be backend and not publicly visible. They go on to say that consumers seeking to purchase merchandise related to Miss Swift are sophisticated and will take extreme care to ensure that items do in fact relate to her and not your client's theme park. As you may know, as you may know, Miss Swift has a large and extremely dedicated fan base. Miss Swift is also highly recognizable. The commercial value in an item related to Miss Swift is distinct and easily recognizable. You can rest assured that customers seeking merchandise related to Miss Swift rather than your client's theme park will ensure that they select the correct items. So, like shade on top of shade, but also, hey, the consumers are not confused. And I really think that the bounce rate of the website shows people went to evermore.com and went, oh, this isn't Taylor's album. Cool. Then they get into the strength of the mark and identify that there's not only a Dr. Evermore park, but there's also another Evermore medieval festival park. And that all of those parks coexist and argue, look, quote, If your client has not been damaged by third parties operating identical businesses under identical trademarks, it is implausible that your client would be damaged by a third party operating a completely different business under a different trademark, as is the case here. Again, for me, it is a point well taken. I don't see this as Taylor trying to just say, oh, I don't care. I'm using what I want. I really do see this as her saying or her team saying, um, there are multiple Evermore in the fantasy realm, and those all coexist. So why are you bent out of shape about a Taylor Swift album? That's how I read it. I would love to know what you think. Let me know in a comment on the uh, on the YouTube's video. And then they uh, decline to acquiesce to the cease and desist, and then they 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 sign it off with, "We trust this resolves any concerns that your client may have, and we believe this matter is resolved." Like, um, no, we're not doing that. We're done here. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> That's exactly what it says. And then there is another letter. Another letter. Of course, for those on the YouTubes, you will see that they attach all of the trademark hearings, all of the trademark printouts. And the final thing included is a further response to Attorney Cherry from Taylor Swift's legal team, Mr. Baldridge, saying, thank you for speaking with me on Friday, January 8th, when you called me about Evermore Park LLC's demands regarding Ms. Swift's latest album. As stated in my letter of December 29th, there is no basis for your client's claim that Ms. Swift's party's use of the term evermore infringes any trademark rights it may have. Moreover, your client has suffered no damages whatsoever and in fact has openly stated that Ms. Swift's album release creates a quote marketing opportunity for your client's troubled theme park Regarding the latter, you acknowledge that the theme park has experienced financial difficulties due to the COVID-19 pandemic, calling into question whether its current reputation could be damaged at all, even if there were infringement, which there is not. Quite simply, in light of your clients' publicly asserted positions both on social media and before the USPTO, the asserted claims are frivolous and irresponsible and if pursued further, will be defended vigorously. Please let me know if you have any additional questions. The Swift parties continue to reserve all rights. Thanks, bye. <laughs> and that is the that is and then they filed the lawsuit. It was like, okay, well, clearly Taylor Swift and her attorneys are not going to change their position on this at all. The Taylor Swift merchandise pointed out in this lawsuit is largely merchandise that doesn't even say the word evermore. There is one sweatshirt on the website that says ever and evermore. But even then, because it is so different, I don't know if even that, if even that Is problematic because it is stylized so differently because it says ever and evermore because it's clearly identifiable as hers but it is the sweatshirt with the word evermore on it is the one thing that is probably going to be uh, maybe the most contentious but with all those other factors the likelihood of confusion there there's no question that a lyric sweatshirt from Taylor Swift might be referencing the kind of medieval times park in Utah whose logoing again is very different. If you want to see those the video is up on YouTube and can link from the audio only version if you want to see some of those or you can just go look at the Evermore Park and you will see very clearly the the way that they stylize it. It's very um kind of bold and and fantasy like. It is it is not in the same style as Taylor Swift. I'm interested to see what the courts do with this and how they parse it. I think the points of Swift's attorneys are well taken that look, you argued these same arguments to the US Patent and Trademark Office when you wanted Evermore trademark and Dr. Evermore already had a trademark and there are these two other parks. For me, the two other parks were kind of the thing. It's like, oh, well, if these other theme parks are already getting along, is this album really causing damage to the mark? Is this album really creating confusion? Do people really not know that Taylor Swift's album is not associated with a theme park in Utah that a lot of them have never heard of. I would love to hear what you think about this. Again, intellectual property rights are required to be defended and required to be vigorously defended. It's how you keep your trademark rights. But the, the amount of words that can be used will continue to narrow in the field of intellectual property, which is why it's going to be kind of a hotbed of things to talk about as we continue going on. So intellectual property is always fascinating. I hope you found this fascinating. I want to know what you think. So if you have thoughts and you're not commenting on the YouTubes, tag me on social. Whose points well taken for you? Is this Taylor Swift going, "Ah, fuck it, I'm Taylor Swift. I'll do do what I want. I do what I want. I do what I want. Look what you made me do. Or is this a park going, you know what? No, there's some money here. Maybe we'll sue. What do you think? Just given this, because I really think we do get both sides on this. We get the complaint, we see their side, and the letter from Swift's team really lays out their position, which is uh, no boo. We're not, we're not doing this shit at all. I'd love to know what you think. Thanks for hanging with me for another episode of the Emily Show, friend. You can find me all over social media at the Emily D Baker, and I will see you in the next one. Thanks.